You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Manscaped. Today, I talked to ESPN's Bill Barnwell. A few weeks back, he wrote an article for ESPN.com on five things that every team should do this offseason. Check it out. We talk about some of the Redskins' moves, but also how he compares their roster to others in the NFC East. How big a gap is there between the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Eagles? And we talk about some potential free agent targets. Should there be a buyer beware sign on certain players? I think we both say yes, of course. Before I get going, don't forget you can read my work as well on ESPN.com. Also, stick around after the Barnwell conversation because I go over some free agent targets and some information that I've gathered. And in a minute, I'll get to the Barnwell discussion, but first I want to talk about the Redskins' biggest free agent, guard Brandon Sheriff. I've always felt the Redskins would need to tag him to keep him around and nothing has really changed my thought process. I know they want to try and sign him to a long-term deal. I'd be surprised if that was finished before the tag deadline on Monday. Weird things can happen. Things can change. But that's my thought as of several days um, before that deadline. Sheriff already turned on a deal during the season worth a reported $13 million per year. I'm not confident as to whether they get a long-term deal done with him before the July 15th deadline. I think there's a long ways to go before really finalizing that, before finalizing, finalizing an opinion on that. I know there will be a big effort on the Skins' part. I know having security for a player coming off back-to-back injury-filled seasons, as Sheriff has, will be important, but the numbers still have to match. That's why I've always felt the tag was the way to go. And now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Bill Barnwell. Now I'm very pleased and honored to be joined by ESPN's Bill Barnwell, does terrific, exhaustive stuff. And I don't know that anybody puts out more exhaustive stuff, and I mean that very much as a compliment, because <laughs> I know the work that must go into what you do, Bill. And first of all, just real quickly, when you put out, you put out something a couple weeks ago, which is basically five moves every team should make. How long does something like that take for you to put together? Oh, man, probably about you know, two hours per team, typically, you know, and some of them, I'm not going to lie, are pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, it doesn't take, uh, doesn't take a genius to sit here and say, hey, the Chiefs should, you know, pick up Patrick Mahomes' fifth-year option. That's easy. But, you know, trying to get the context of, okay, well, if the Chiefs do pick up Patrick Mahomes' fifth-year option and he's going to sign an an extension this offseason, what do you compare that to? Uh, What are the comparables? What's that contract going to look like? Should the Chiefs sign him now as opposed to next year? Hopefully, you kind of take some of that, you know, sort of straightforward stuff and add some context to it and, and get some information out of, you know, what's going to happen uh, in this offseason and, I guess, in the off seasons to come as well. 
And, and the other part too, in two hours a team is, that's a week's worth of work, more than a week's worth of work. But when you, cause you also, you have to, you know that a fan base, if you don't sound intelligent on that team, they're going to call you on it too. So it, it leads to, I'm sure, some extra research as well. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think ideally at the end of the day, um, it, it's hopefully, you know, something that uh, a fan of a team, you know, kind of reinforces what they know, maybe gives some context to what they know. But then also, if you're not a fan of a team, let's say you're a, a fan of another team in the same division, you know, if you're a Raiders fan and you're looking at, hey, what are the Chiefs doing? What, what should I watch out for from right. the Chiefs this offseason? Because I don't like the Chiefs. I, I don't want the Chiefs to succeed, but I want to understand what they're doing so I know, hey, you know, if, if they didn't get this done, maybe they didn't have the offseason they were hoping for. So I think it's kind of a mix of, you know, you, you want to, you know, give the fans of a team something they don't have, but also, you know, kind of give a context to the fans who are fans of different teams. And that, and I think that's where you have always stood out, and that's why I enjoy reading your stuff, and that's why I'm honored to have you on here. Let's look at the Redskins rosters. As we're, we're ta I'm taping this with you a week before free agency starts. So when you mm -hmm. look at their roster, how do you feel that it compares to the rest of the NFC East? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think Philadelphia and Dallas are in kind of a tier of their own, and then kind of have the Giants and Washington in a tier below them. Um, I, I think there's a lot to get excited about, uh, you know, on this roster when everyone is healthy. There's a lot of underrated players, a lot of guys who are, you know, possibly significant contributors, but so many balls still up in the air as we sit here. You know, like you said, a week away from free agency. We don't know what Trent Williams' status is going to be. Uh, we're waiting for Brandon Scherf to get presumably franchise tags. Right. Um, Quentin Dunbar's future is uncertain. I mean, we have guys here who – sorry, Ryan Kerrigan's future is uncertain as well based on what might happen with the second overall pick. So, you know, this roster could look very different. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's a situation where I sit here and say, hey, you know, I expect Washington to be super active in free agency or I want them to be super active in free agency. It's more about just filling holes here and there, maybe adding some mid-tier players or two, but that has typically not been Washington's sort of uh, practice in free agency. Right, and now we're going to have to kind of examine what, how Rivera was in free agency too because he's coming from a different place. And that's why, like, you know, and I'll get to this and I'll get more to more of this in a minute because there's some top-tier guys that I'm not sure they're going to go after simply because of maybe some of that background. But when you look at some of the underrated guys in this roster, who are a couple that maybe jump out in your mind? I mean, someone who I think is well-known to Washington fans but not known nationally it's Matt Ioannidis. I mean, the guy is just an absolute star. I mean, he is so productive in a position where guys typically are not that productive. Um, you know, just, just makes plays seemingly every single week. Every time I watch, watch them play, you know, he is a guy who pops out to me and says, okay, this is a guy who, you know, we have to pay attention to. Uh, if you play fantasy, Terry McLaren, again, I, I think underrated still, you know, even beyond the numbers because of the turnover they had at quarterback. I think right. a guy who made – who made Joint Haskins look better, who made Case Keenum look better. Um, you know, a guy who obviously did have some consistency issues, but for a rookie, I mean, just absolute scary talent. And I think, you know, uh, 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 one of the most successful draft picks, you know, we've seen from Washington in recent years. Uh, those are the two guys who really come to mind for me. And again, not players who I know, if you're a Washington fan, you're sitting here and saying, hey, I know those guys are great. But right. I think nationally, those guys are not seen yet as being top 15 players in their position. And I think, you know, Ioannidis certainly is. I mean, I think that McLaren is getting to that level. And I think it's also for a Redskins fan, when you hear it from somebody who maybe is around the team, they expect that. I think they kind of like hearing that from a national perspective, too, because it gives them like, okay, they're seeing what they think they're seeing. Um, and obviously they have 
listen, they're three and 13. They've changed coaches. They've changed regimes. They have holes. Where do you see our, and I, I, we all have our own, you know, I think we can see a lot of the same stuff, but where do you feel are the biggest holes when you look on this, at this roster? Well, I think you start in the secondary, right? I mean, obviously you have Landon Collins, you're bringing him back. I mean, there are guys who, you know, who could play in. Fabian Moreau is going to keep playing uh, probably as a starter, you'd figure. Um, Quentin Dunbar played really well, but then you get to Dunbar, and we don't know what his future is going to be like. He obviously wants a new deal. Um, you know, uh, there, there are issues elsewhere at safety. They've really struggled over the last few years. DJ right. Swearinger didn't really work out. Um, you know, how come the Dix, that trade didn't really work out for Washington? So, and they do need to add some depth at cornerback. I like Greg Stroman uh, coming into last year. I didn't really see much. You know, I didn't really develop last year, unfortunately. Right. So that obviously, uh, you know, uh, caused him to take a step backwards by being on IR. But, you know, I, I think you're going to have to add a significant player. Now, is that James Bradbury? I know that's an obvious sort of link to make, uh, but I don't know that $15 million a year on another cornerback is the best idea for Washington after what happened with uh, Josh Norman. And on the flip side, you look at the offense, I, I still think tight end is the biggest hole in this team um, after, you know, Vernon Davis retired, uh, right. after cutting to degree, which, you know, was obviously unfortunate, a guy who looked so great last preseason. We know what he can do when he's healthy, but at this point, it kind of, you can't really expect him to be healthy. It's, it's unfortunate. It, it's an awful situation, but you can't count on the guy at this point to be healthy for, for 12 games, let alone 16. So tight end, I mean, Jeremy Sprinkle did, you know, pop up here and there last year. And I think he's going to be a guy you want on your roster, but I do think they are probably looking for a starting caliber tight end this year. How far do you think this roster is? And again, I think coaching will matter here. I think what Rivera offers, what Jack Del Rio offers will help this friend. I know how much I don't know, but it's going to matter though. I think there'll be more discipline, more detail oriented, but when you look at the roster, how, where, how big is the gap between what you see with Washington and then what you see with, you know, the Giants, or maybe not the Giants, but with um, Philly and Dallas? Not a ton, especially, I think, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they're pretty close. I think there's a ton of talent here. Right. You know, guys have really played well. And I think you have two guys in Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio who have a track record of really molding defenses into, you know, impressive teams quickly. Um, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe it won't translate in Washington, but I just think history says Jack Del Rio's coordinated some pretty good defenses. I've been a head coach for some pretty good defenses. And Brian Rivera, I mean, brought along a ton of young defensive talent during his time in Carolina. So I'm very optimistic about the defense. Now, with the offense, I think it's a question. You know, we don't know what, uh, you know, Scott Turner's still relatively inexperienced. Um, you know, we don't know what we're going to get out of guys like Darius Geis. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, of course, is still a total question mark when it comes right. to his future. Um, we don't know what, what they're going to have at tight end. We don't know what the offensive line is going to look like. Eric Flowers, of course, we're unsure. Free agents, again, I think Scherfer's going to come back. But we don't know what's going to happen with Trent Williams. And if he gets traded, we don't know who's going to replace him at right. left tackle. So, you know, I, I think in an ideal scenario, if you somehow convince Williams to come back, you bring back Scherf, you add a tight end, and you get some very solid development out of Haskins behind a better offensive line and with more weapons, especially with the young weapons they have at receiver, you know, they, they, they could move quick. It wouldn't shock me if they, you know, took a big leap forward in 2020, but is that leap to seven and nine? Is it to right. nine and seven, 11 and five? I, I think so much of that's going to depend on, on Haskins and how these coaches do in terms of developing not only the quarterback, but also then the young pieces they have on both sides of the football. 
And I think the way they weren't going to want to try and do that is build up the defense as much as they can this offseason and then maybe go with, try and get a strong running game going to just kind of play that style for now until they really know what they have in the passing game. So, and I think along with that, then you look at a guy like Chase Younger too, and you look at like what Rivera has done. He, you know, these guys, he and Del Rio have had guys like Julius Peppers, Khalil Mack, Von Miller. So it makes sense that they would want to go in that direction with the Chase Young, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not smart. You know, I, I don't have any special insight into, uh, you know, how to draft players. I think when you look at history, a lot of it, a lot of what we find is that, you know, teams sort of overestimate their ability to, you know, uh, avoid picking the best available player. When, when they have that sort of urge to pick a player who nobody else is thinking they should take, it doesn't seem to go well. I think the most recent example might be the Raiders with uh, Colin Farrell last yeah. year, where that doesn't look especially great after year one. Still too early to say, but, you know, unless they get a uh, – the example I gave, I think, when I was talking recently was the Ricky Williams trade, where right. you know, they got an higher draft worth of picks. I think you have to take Chase Young with this pick. I, I you know, I, I, I'm sympathetic to people who think Tua Tungvaluwa is going to be a franchise quarterback. I do as well. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world, I guess. But I just think you don't know what you have with Dwayne Haskins. You just use a first-round pick on him. If he struggles, you're going to have the chance to take a quarterback probably next year or the year after that. Um, you know, I, I, I do think at this point they are a team that's really rebuilding, really in transition. Obviously, the Alex Smith contract is. You know, something they couldn't have anticipated was going to hurt them, but it is a significant sort of burden right now and will be less of a burden in the years to come. But uh, I just think Chase Young, by all accounts, by every measure, by every observer I've seen, I haven't found anybody who said, eh, he's not that good. You know, right. I found you know, it's either, it's either a, a franchise caliber pass rusher or a possible Hall of Famer pass rusher. He, he has that sort of potential coming out of school. So I think, you know – uh, unless there's something we don't know, I think you take Chase Young and you figure the rest out later. Yeah, and I think that's eventually what they will end up doing. But, you know, we're again, we're not even a month from the draft, so things can change or whatever. But the other one of the moves that you suggested doing was parting ways with Ryan Kerrigan. And I, they've been working more on an extension for him. Now, nothing's happened, and they've been talking for a little bit, or at least they have had talks. I don't know where they exactly stand right now, but – what is the, what's your reasoning with that? And would you, like, if they signed you an extension, would you be okay with that? Or do you think, like, you know, it's just time because the production is not what you think it should be or whatever? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not opposed to anything with Ryan Kerrigan. I think last year was obviously, you know, his worst season in several years. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's getting into his 30s now. It wouldn't shock me if he declined a bit as a pass rusher. I still think he's a good player. But at, at the current price tag he is at, I don't think it's good value for Washington. Now, the question is, what do the terms of that extension look like? If he's willing to take less money to stay in Washington and be a, you know, a rotational pass rusher with Chase Young and with Montez Sweat, hey, that's great. And I'd love to have Ryan Kerrigan on my roster for you know, $6, 7000000 million a year. But if sure. an extension is going to be north of 10, if it's going to be $11, 12 $13 million a year, well, now you're paying a guy who's into his 30s who you, know, you want to – realistically, you want to see what you have in Montez Sweat and Chase Young's going to be – your primary pass rusher. So you want to put those guys in the best situation to succeed. You don't want to have them sitting on third down to Ryan Kerrigan right. and take the situational pass rusher. Um, and if you, you're going to do that, you don't want to be paying Ryan Kerrigan $12, $13 million a year for that role. So, I mean, if it does work out, great. You know, I'll happily take Ryan Kerrigan on my roster at a good price. But, 
Um, I think given the price tag he's likely to look for, I figure the best logical, the most logical thing for both sides is to move on. Uh, Washington wants to go with their young edge rushers. Ryan Kerrigan maybe gets a shot to win elsewhere. Um, and, you know, I think Ryan Kerrigan could be a great, uh, a great veteran to have in the locker room to, to mold those guys. But you have your coaches for a reason. And I think at the end of the day, the best thing is going to be to get sweat and young reps and, and have Ryan Kerrigan move on elsewhere. Let's let's take a look at some of these free agents now, that because again, some of the positions would go for the James Bradbury. How do you view this corner market? Because, and I, well, I'm going to share my thoughts after we're done talking. So, but how do you view the corner market? Is there a guy that you say, don't pay this guy because it's not worth it? And who's is there an underrated guy that you have there? Oh, that's a good question. So, the underrated guy, I, I think I might say, and someone who's not going to be again, unfamiliar to Washington fans, is Vashad Breland, who I thought played really well for Kansas City last year. And a guy who, of course, you know, flashed in Washington as being a number one guy. Um, and obviously the injuries came to uh, hurt him, and he, he ended up missing out on that deal with Carolina, coincidentally, uh, in 2019. And so I, I think he played like a number one corner. He looked great in the Super Bowl. To me, he's a guy who I think, you know, isn't, isn't in that top, top tier corners, but maybe like a low-end number one, a high-end number two corner, which a pretty valuable guy in the NFL these days when you look at how much uh, those guys are getting paid. So I think Rashad Breeland, someone who, you know, maybe not for Washington, but an underrated guy who I think sure. makes sense. Um, looking at guys who might be underrated in terms of who might have to go to Washington, I would look at someone like maybe Eli Apple, where, you know, he's flashed really impressive performances with the Giants, with the Saints, who's also struggled quite a bit. Could be a guy where I think you put him with the right coaching staff, you sort of play to his strengths instead of his weaknesses. Um, right. He could be a guy where there's an opportunity for value. Brian Poole, uh, the slot corner, formerly from right. Atlanta, played for the Jets last year. Really impressive year for the Jets. And I will say, I watched a lot of the Jets last year. Nothing was impressive for the Jets last <laughs> right. year. There's not a lot of bright spots for the Jets, but Brian Poole's performance is one of them. And I think a guy who you know could get paid more than people are expecting, but if for some reason his market doesn't develop, I, I think that's a great possible fit for Washington. On the flip side, guys I would not pay. Hmm. That's a good question. I, looking at the top of the market, looking at the bigger guys, you know, I, I really like James Bradbury. I just don't know if he's a, you know, upper echelon, right. absolute number one corner for me. I, th I think he's a, he's a viable number one corner, but I don't think he's at like a lock that you want to give 15, $16 million a year. I think I'd be worried about a Tremaine Johnson kind of situation where you're, right. you know, you have a guy who I think, you know, they played to his strengths in Carolina, and, and I'm just I'm a little skeptical he's going to be quite as good at that price tag. Um, you know, Chris Harris comes to mind, someone who I think, yeah. you know, was great for such a long time, but now he's 31, he's undersized, um, wasn't playing in the slot last year, moved outside for pretty much the entirety of the season, so loses some of his versatility there. And, again, it's a question of the price tag. You're going to have to pay him $15 million a year probably. And history says, you know, undersized corners into their 30s, those contracts seem to work out pretty poorly. So right. uh, didn't play as well last year in Denver. Um, so I think for teams who are looking at him and saying, okay, he might be the last piece for us to win a Super Bowl, um, I would be a little skeptical. And, and the guy that I like is Byron Jones, but the concern I would have is not a ton of turnovers there. And, but his versatility, I think, would be welcomed here. So he's another guy that I would – you know, that I would wonder about um, on this market. And he, he might be the one who sets the market. Yeah, that's the thing is that I think Byron Jones is a very good cornerback. You know, obviously his size, his length is so valuable if you want to try and press. Um, and maybe you do because you have that great pass rush with, with, with Young and Sweat theoretically in there. So 
Um, you know, if you want to be aggressive, I think he's a very good cornerback, a very underrated player. I think he sort of got lost in the shuffle a little bit in Dallas, but a guy who was a one of the best corners in football in 2018, not quite as good, but still very good last year. But again, like you said, the question is, if you're Washington, you're where you are in the success cycle. Do you want to pay Byron Jones $16 million a year? Because that's probably what it's going to take right. to bring him in. Um, and, and I just don't know that there is a point where even if you add a Byron Jones, that's going to be a fundamental difference maker to that defense right now. Right. And so let's get to a couple other places. Tight end, Austin Hooper. What's your, what's your stance with him? Because, again, people looking at him and maybe setting the tight end market, is that a deserved thing for a guy like Hooper? That's a good question. Deserve, I don't know if I would say deserved. I mean, obviously, 2019 was an outlier year for him, his best season by far. A guy who I think has been inconsistent, you know, never really seen double teams because of who else is in that Atlanta right. offense. You know, he's a good athlete. He's a decent blocker. And this is just a position where NFL teams are starving for talent. So many teams want tight ends. And, of course, the number one team that comes to mind is the Patriots, who, right. I mean, you know, having a Hall of Famer at tight end to having probably the worst tight end room in football last year. And when you have it, the opportunity to go out and get someone like an Austin Hooper, who you know is not going to get franchise tag, who's probably not going to resign with Atlanta, um, who's probably going to take the best available offer, that's really tantalizing for a, a team that desperately needs help at tight end. And there's a bunch of teams out there who do. And then on top of that, um, the tight end market has been totally stagnant. Jimmy right. Graham signed a, signed a uh, $10 million a year deal with the Saints in 2014 and then matched that deal with another 10 year, $10 million per year offer with the Packers in 2018. Nobody else is in the league has top $10 million per year on a deal. And that's going back to 2014. The cap has gone up dramatically since then. So I think you're going to see a number of tight ends, top $10 million a year on their deals this year. Not only, uh, you know, not only Austin Hooper, but also Hunter Henry, probably with an extension. Right. You would figure George Kittle, when George Kittle signs his extension, that's going to be a massive deal, way more than $10 million a year. Um, so I think you're going to see guys sort of, you know, that, that tight end market really kind of bounced up because it just hasn't over the past few seasons. Right, and I wonder if a guy like Hooper is enough of a difference maker to give him that kind of money, you know, you know what I mean? I think that might be the, the question I would have with a guy. Like, and I think that's true with any tight end or any top-of-the-line guy you're going to try and sign. Is he a difference maker? And that's yeah, that's the question. For sure. And I think the other thing is, you know, like you said, the cap is an issue here. Not, not the question's not they're capped out, but there's going to be money they're going to want to spend elsewhere. But the other tough part is that this is a bad draft for tight ends. There's not a lot of talent at tight ends. So I think it's one thing where if it's a wide receiver, for example, this draft is loaded with wide receivers. That might depress, you know, someone like a Robbie Anderson at the top of the market. He's not going to get quite as much as he might have hoped for. But with the tight end market, those guys might get even more. I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised Greg Olson got $7 million a year from, from Seattle. I think that was a sign that, those guys who, you know, can offer something as a receiver, even if they're in their mid-30s, have injury histories, like Greg Olson, you know, if he's getting $7 million for a one-year deal, you'd figure, you know, guys like Eric Ebron, um, guys like, you know, Hunter Henry, like I said, uh, even your second-tier guys like Vance McDonald or uh, a Blake Bell, you know, those guys are going to get more than I think maybe the public is expecting right now. And then just two more positions, and I'll go these real quick because I appreciate your time here, Bill. Um, receiver, Amari Cooper, another guy I think they might be interested in. Going to get – if Dallas somehow lets him get out of there, would be the top receiver on the market. What do you – what's your assessment of him? I mean, you know, he's made a difference everywhere he's gone. Um, you know, was an impact player with the Raiders. 
immediate impact with the Cowboys. Dak Prescott's numbers are better with Amari Cooper on the football field, which, you know, doesn't surprise anyone who's watched the Cowboys play. Um, you know, obviously tormented uh, teams in this division since he went to Dallas. And I think a, a fundamentally excellent football player. The one concern is injuries. And he's played right. through a lot of injuries. He's a tough guy. But a lot of nagging injuries year after year after year, you know, with the foot, ankle. I mean, injuries that just have, you know, slowed him down. And, and those injuries, I think about someone like an Alshon Jeffrey, where it was the same sort of thing where on his rookie deal, just consistently bothered by injuries. Got to that second contract, obviously won a Super Bowl, played well, but injuries have really slowed him down during his time with the Eagles. And with Amari Cooper, you know, I, I, I think I wouldn't fault anybody for giving him a big deal. The talent is there, the size is there, the intelligence, the route running. The speed, to be honest with you, everything you want from a receiver is there when he's helping on the field. I just, it's a, it's a tough ask to expect him to play 16 games out of the season when you're probably going to get 14 or 15 and you're going to get three or four more where he's not 100%. So I, I, would, I wouldn't fault anybody for doing it, but I think that's going to be a very dangerous high-risk signing, even given his talent. And I agree. And I, you know, the funny thing is here, there are a lot of Alabama guys. And so that he would play well in the locker room for that reason. The last spot is running back. And a guy that, you know, another guy I think that, they're, that they would like if he becomes free is Kenyon Drake. And I know in your Arizona write-up, you talked about the money that Arizona would need to devote to running back if they kept him. But how do you view him and his situation? I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm, – I'm, I'm in the analytics camp when it comes to running backs. I just don't think there was a great track record of analytics uh, – or sorry, of running backs, getting contracts, like the sort of contract Kenyon Drake might get this year and having those contracts work out so many deals recently. Uh, Todd Gurley comes to mind, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Devontae Freeman, David Johnson, you mentioned Arizona. Um, you know, contracts where guys are underwater, or, or sorry, guys, guys where their contracts are underwater, where they just don't get the sort of production um, that they had in the past. And, and that's, you know, the reality of, of the running back position. It's tough, and, and I obviously don't, you know, I, I feel bad for guys who have played well and aren't getting the deals that they might have hoped for, but at the end of the day, I mean, it just it hasn't been a great, uh, a great path to spending your money. So I, I would, unless Kenny Drake's market totally craters, you know, I would give him maybe the Tevin Coleman contract from last year, but I can't imagine giving him more. And, you know, there's a, a lot of guys out there who could be difference makers. I mean, even beyond getting past the Derrick Henrys of the world, but look at someone like uh, Lamar Miller, who, you know, was right. effective when he carried his ACL, or Carlos Hyde, who was available for nothing at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, training camp. And, who was very solid for Houston for a league average running back for basically nothing. Um, you know, I, I would look towards guys like that, maybe an Isaiah Crowell coming off of an injury, um, a position they could address in the draft. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, you know, this is not a team where I would go out and spend $6 million, $7 million, $8 million a year on a running back. I think I'd rather, you know, even if you don't want to count on Darius guys, I'd rather see them bring in someone else on a, on a cheaper deal and have him compete with guys like Andrew Peterson uh, for, for reps there in the backfield. Well, especially because in Geis's case, if he comes through, he's quite a talent. I think, you know, and so sure. I think that's where, like, but if you devote money to it, you're pretty much saying what you want to say about what you think Geis might do. So um, anyway, Bill, listen, I greatly appreciate your time. Insight is always good. And for people listening, read Bill's stuff on ESPN. Always worth your read and worth your time. So um, please do that. Check them out on Twitter as well. But Bill, thank you very much for joining me. Very nice of you to say, job. Thanks so much. After this break, I'll be back with my thoughts on a number of free agents, including guys like Austin Hooper, Amari Cooper, 
and a running back. And then also, is there a linebacker that could tempt them? Let's talk. Hey guys, it's Bram. I just wanted to say hi. Thank you for supporting the John Kime Report. It's been a pleasure working with John and putting this podcast together every week. And I want to introduce you to our new sponsor, Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I groom. Yes, I groom. And I always use the traditional methods, which were semi-dangerous, you know, clipping around there is not the easiest thing to do. And that's why I love the products from Manscaped. They engineer team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created. And they just released their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. I've used it. It's awesome. I know the first time you pick it up, you're going to be like, I'm a little nervous doing this. Don't be. It is easy. And there is no problems at all. No accidents at all. And one of the coolest real features of the whole thing is they've got this LED light, which illuminates the grooming area. So for a closer, more precise trimming, you'll be very, I know you want to be careful. I'm very careful as well. It's an awesome, awesome piece of equipment. Get 20% off free shipping with the code KIME, K-E-I-M at manscaped.com. Once again, 20% off and free shipping with the code KIME, K-E-I-M, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code K-E-I-M. Welcome back. So now I want to get to a bunch of free agents, and I want to keep this as quick as possible. Still might run a little bit long, so let's get to it. Let's start with the first one, tight end. If I'm going to spend, it's going to be on a difference maker, some sort of a playmaker. That's why when I look at Atlanta tight end Austin Hooper, I wonder if the Reds can see him in that light. I don't think that's the case. I think there would be interest, but I think if the price tag hits that $11 million per year mark, I have a hard time seeing them fork that over. Also, I would think it would cost Washington more to sign him than anyone else for a simple reason, uncertainty at quarterback. This isn't about Ron Rivera failing to anoint Dwayne Haskins as a starter. It's about how others perceive what he may or may not become. Nobody really knows yet that you can't just go off of two games and extrapolate a long way when you're playing with other guys' money. Over the years, one truth with agents is that when they, when they want to place their skill guys, they want to do so with a good quarterback situation. If you don't have that, then a team really has to overpay. And if I had to guess now, I would say that Hooper ends up elsewhere. Maybe in a year that changes with the Redskins, the perception. But for right now, that could be a factor with skill guys. I do like Hooper. I think he's a good player and he's a willing blocker. I also think in the Redskins' eyes, he's not Jordan Reed in terms of being dynamic. I don't think he is dynamic. Of course, he's also more available and he is a better blocker than Reed. Keep in mind that Ron Rivera would have, would have prepared for Hooper a couple times a year when he was in Carolina, so I'm sure he has a good, strong scouting report of his own already on him. For those wondering about Eric Ebron, go back and listen to what I had, well, excuse me, to when I had Logan Paulson on my podcast. He gave some strong reasons why they should pass on him. Now, Logan also really likes Austin Hooper. Um, Ebron is athletic. He would be cheaper. I know, let's go to corners. I know James Bradbury has been linked here. My problem with him, he's going to command close to top dollar, perhaps. 
I would not pay him in that $15 million a year range. However, I think some of that stuff is going to, you're going to have to look long term with that because this market could be reset once Jalen Ramsey gets that. So a Bradbury and guys like that in that $15 million range, they're not going to be considered the top corners. It's just that that's what they're going to get. They're going to get paid a lot, but in a year, they will not be top corner money by any means. Um, I did ask a veteran defensive coach about Bradbury the other day. He told me he came, you know, he, I, I told this guy he came across to me like a kind of a lesser version of what Josh Norman was. The response from this coach, that's an astute observation. Now, Norman was very good in Carolina, so that's not necessarily a knock. But I say that because Norman wasn't fast, and neither is Bradbury. I don't see either as being really, really quick twitch guys either. But they were both, but they're both terrific zone corners. And Norman, that's what he that's how he got his paid. I think that's why Bradbury will get paid. If, it, if you play a heavy zone defense, then I think Bradbury can do well. I like his competitiveness. I thought he was really competitive. Um, new defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, has employed a lot of man coverage in the past. He's also used a lot. Of, he's, there are times where he's used, he's used a lot of zone. I think if you're going to sign Barry, Bradbury, I'd make sure it's a heavy zone influence so he could maximize his ability. I'm not, I know there's been a lot of linkage to, of, with those guys, with the Redskins and Bradbury, I don't know that I'm going to go there and say that I buy that completely at this point um, for the reasons I said. So we'll see. But they obviously would know him. And I think if they do pay for him, it's because you know what you're getting and what you're getting in the locker room and on the field. So there is that sense that maybe he's more of value here. But I don't, I'm not going to go for sure that they're going to go get him. Um, I think it will be interesting to watch. I asked this defensive coach about Byron Jones, and his main issue with him was, though he liked his game, it's, it's the lack of career. I think he has, what, two career interceptions. This coach did like Jones' smarts and his athleticism. If you're going to pay that much money for a guy, again, you want to be a playmaker of some sort. But, again, you have to look down the road for where this money is going to go, and then these guys look like they're paid in the right spot. Jones' versatility fits into what Rivera said he wants, guys who can help at multiple spots to vary looks, etc. It's even more helpful if there are linebackers who can play that way or safeties allowing the defense to play more in their base front, not take coverages, etc., I like Jones. The word has been that the team to watch in the NFC East with Jones is Philadelphia. I also know there are some former Redskins corners who will be cheaper. As Bill pointed out, Bashad Breeland is free. Yes, the Panthers signed him two years ago only to have that rescinded because of his offseason injury that he had suffered. So while we know that the Panthers liked him enough to sign him, I'm not sold. I don't know, but I'm not sold that the situation sat well with Rivera. I, don't, I had someone there tell me he'd be surprised if Rivera would still want him after that experience. I don't know that for sure. Don't take that as gospel. It's just something that I heard. And then there's Kendall Fuller. I loved him here. He's a good nickel corner who is not coming off a good year for whatever reason. That could keep his price tag down, but he fits what you want in terms of culture. He's very smart. He's studious. The more guys like, like him that you have, I think the better off you are. I do wonder about safety, as Bill mentioned. Trey Boston played for Revere in Carolina. If you're going to spend, you want to do so at the premium spots, but unless they think Monte Nicholson will hold it down, they're going to need some more help here. doesn't mean you break the bank for a second straight year at, that, at, at safety, and I don't know that the Redskins would, so we'll see. Um, at receiver, of course, I think the name to watch, you've heard, I've heard whispers about Amari Cooper. I still don't think he gets out of Dallas. I had one person guess that he'll get $20 million dollars from Dallas, that's not a report, that's speculation. Understand the difference. The Redskins want a strong player on the other side of Terry McLaurin, and Cooper would qualify. We've seen what he can do. I think there's some injury, there might be some injury, some slight injury concerns, or, or at least 
that might give some teams pause. But he would give Washington another player who can win quickly off the line. It would cost a ton. As one person told me, Dallas hasn't spent a lot in the last few off-seasons, so that's why they think the Cowboys have the ability to keep him and then pay Dak as well. And if you're a player, no state taxes in Texas does help too. But if he's free, there's nothing more that Dan Snyder would like to do than steal one from his guy, Jerry Jones. Now, I wonder about linebacker as well. As I've mentioned a few times, they do like John Bostic, and if he doesn't return, they have Sean Dion Hamilton inside. But Rivera and Jack Del Rio are former linebackers. They will place a huge emphasis on the guy playing inside. Rivera has said that. I've told you before that they see Cole Holcomb on the outside for now. That's where the Reuben Foster will be if he recovers. And, we, and I know I don't have any updates on him at this point. There are some intriguing middle linebackers available. Okay, now again, this is all things that you hear, and so don't take any of this as gospel by any means. But I think, I think Joe Schobert go, ends up going to Green Bay. I think there will be a team at least in the running for him. And it's a guess based on what you hear. Blake Martinez will have a few suitors. Um, hey, J.P. Finley had a good look at some of these other linebackers who might be worthwhile targets the other day for NBC Sports Washington. Mentioned a couple guys. I think you know one of them is Danny Trevathan, who played for Del Rio in Denver. But I think the Bears are going to make a push to try and bring him back at a lower price point. If they don't get him, then I think you'd have to wonder about the Redskins with him. Corey Littleton might be too expensive. I think he sets the market if he becomes free. Um, I think Blake Martinez, I mentioned him earlier, Maybe he's one to watch. He can be a three-down linebacker. That's crucial. I also have a feeling that you know maybe the team to watch in the NFC East with him is more the Giants, um, but we'll see. Um, you know, um, Nick Kwiatkowski's name was mentioned in the article, but I don't think that the Redskins view him as a starter. That's kind of the feedback I get, not necessarily from the Redskins, but just from what you hear from other people. So if they don't view him as a starter, other teams do. So he'll go to one of those teams where teams view him as a starter, of course. Finally, running back. And I told you before, I think, and I think, I only think, that they'd go after Kenyon Drake if he's free from Arizona. Um, you heard Bill talk earlier about the money Arizona would have tied up in running backs if the cards kept him. But one person I did talk to felt rather strong in predicting that Arizona would keep him. This guy has a running back on the market, so he's poked around in this market. Um, so, again, don't, it's not gospel. It's, these are just the things you hear going into free agency. What I do know is Drake, Drake would be a good fit here because of his versatility. We might never see it. Well, that's all I got for you for this week, folks. A huge thank you to ESPN's Bill Barnwell for joining me. Again, read his work on ESPN.com. I appreciate you tuning in and listening. I'll get back to the podcast mailbags in a couple weeks. For right now, though, I had a lot of information I wanted to share with you. And stay tuned next week when I'm going to be doing a couple podcasts based on what the Redskins do in free agency. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you later.